All right, Alexander, let's talk about uh, a statement from uh, Russia out of the United Nations, an interesting statement which confirms much of our reporting with regards to to uh, the conflict in Ukraine and what a possible endgame may look like, at least from the Russian side of things. And let's also discuss... Let's discuss the wiretapping in Zeluzhny's office. Why not? Maybe it was the Obama administration trying to find some Trump-Russia collusion. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. Was it Obama? Obama wiretapped, didn't he? He yeah, wiretapped yeah. Merkel. Denied and, it. He uh, said, who, who was wiretapped? Trump yeah, was. Go ahead. Trump was, if you remember. But uh, but that was that was. Back oh yeah, they in, wiretapped Trump. Yeah, Trump, yeah, yeah, that's right. In in Trump Tower, and he did a tweet about it and it was all denied and it turned out to be was true after all. Comey, I remember right? saying at the time. So it was like the FBI Comey. Absolutely, Comey, Comey and all that. Yes, <laughs> all those times. Wiretaps are great things, if I may say so. But anyway. You <laughs> said you remember on. saying at the time? <laughs> I remember saying at the time. I remember when um, Obama published this extraordinary denial. And I remember pointing out that actually, if you passed it carefully, this is always the case with Obama. You have to pass everything he says very carefully. It wasn't actually a denial. People took it as a denial, but it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, he basically was saying it was, you know, the, the Justice Department and the, um, and the FBI. But you had to go, you had to, um, you had to break down his words very, very carefully to see that. As you always do. As you always do. All right. So As let's uh, well, let's just talk about the wiretapping then, since we're already discussing it. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, as you correctly said, it could have been any of uh, lots of people, but it seems it wasn't just Zeluzhny who was being wiretapped. <clears throat> it seems many of his aides were, and the universal assumption in Ukraine is it was the it's the SBU acting on Zelensky's behalf that this is all part of the power struggle that is underway there. This particular wiretap that was the first one that was discovered was apparently in an office building which where to which Zeluzhny is intending to transfer his office, which is an interesting fact in itself. But what this whole episode shows is that we've now reached the situation in Ukraine because I'm sure it was the Zelensky people, where everybody's wiretapping everybody. I mean, everybody's threatening everybody. We've had people being blown up with hand grenades when they pull the pin out. We've had other people being poisoned <coughs> with heavy metals. We've now got a situation where the wiretaps are um, operating and everybody's spying on everyone else. So that gives you an idea of how fraught... The situation in Kiev has become. And if you noticed, when um, Zelensky went abroad, he went to Buenos Aires, he went to Washington, he went to Oslo, he went to Wiesbaden, I think he also went to Poland. <clears throat> He's obviously not very keen to be in Kiev. And again, the reason he, he isn't keen to be in Kiev, because because all of this plotting and all this intriguing and all these conspiracies are taking place and people are manoeuvring against each other and they're all spying on each other. Yeah. Any chance that this would not be the SPU? Yes. I mean, it is a chance. CIA, MI6. CIA, MI6. 
even the Russians conceivably. But by far the most likely is that it is the SBU. Look at all the other things that are happening in Kiev now. As I said, the man who got blown up with a grenade uh, on, on his birthday, the person who got poisoned, um, the rival briefings, all of those things. Why, why look beyond that and ask yourself, well, who else it might it have been? Far more likely it is, the, it is somebody within um, the Ukrainian political system. And um, the reports from Ukraine that I've seen all talk about the SBU. And um, they all say that it's been done at the instigation of Yermak, who is Zelensky's chief of staff. Right. Um, before we, we talk about the United Nations and what was said there, what, what do you think... Uh, the SBU is trying to find out about Solution. Well, <laughs> what do you think yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to, to figure out here? But they just can't the, ask him. I mean, yeah, I mean he, yeah. at the end of the day, he works for, for Zelensky. Yes, but, but you right? see, the point is that they're not on speaking terms. And it, it's now increasingly clear that Zelensky and Zelensky don't attend the same meetings. So about two weeks ago, um, Zelensky did this tour of the battle lines. <clears throat> he met with gen various generals. He met with Tarnovsky. He met with Sirsky, but he didn't meet with Zelensky. He didn't meet with the man who's in overall charge. And he's got this uh, really rather thuggish MP. She's actually a woman, uh, 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 Maybe I've got the name wrong. But she's um, out there. She's constantly sniping at Zeluzhny on behalf of, um, no doubt at all, Zelensky himself. And you can see that, they, that they, you know, that this, 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 this struggle is going on. So they don't, they don't talk to Zeluzhny. And a couple of weeks ago, not about a week ago, actually, there was a report that Yermak, who is the man who many people think actually runs Zelensky, called together a meeting of internal security agencies, the SBU, the Interior Ministry, the National Guard, and told them, you know, we've got to prepare for Maidan 3, that this is an, there's a, an attempted coup being prepared in Kiev. And it's quite clear again that Zeluzhny himself is in the spotlight. And bear in mind, we also had, and this now makes a lot more sense of who's bugging whom. You remember last week we were discussing that conversation between two Ukrainian oligarchs, Poroshenko, who was former president, and Rinat Akhmetov. They too were discussing a coup, and we were speculating as to who perhaps had made the recording of that conversation. Well, now that we know that all these um, bugs, all these uh, listening devices have been planted. It's starting to look again as if that was the SBU. Yeah. And, and so I imagine it was Zeluzhny and his people that released the information that his office was being bugged. Of course. Yes. And by the way, on that front, lots of rumours repeatedly that every couple of days we hear reports that Zelensky is about to fire Zeluzhny. Um, um, a couple of about a week ago, again, <clears throat> reports started to appear, even while Zelensky was abroad, by the way, that Zeluzhny was about to be fired. 
um, there was a response. Um, um, some units, apparently military units, threatened to move on to Kiev if anything like that happened. A political movement said that they would protest if Zeluzhny was indeed fired. And the Ukrainian defense minister, Rustem Umarov, who is an ally of Zelensky, how to rush out a statement saying that that wasn't the case. So we can see how difficult the situation is. We have a situation where the president doesn't trust his commander-in-chief. He doesn't. He believes the commander-in-chief might be considering a coup. The commander-in-chief is being wiretapped by the president and his officials. The two, peop the two men don't speak to each other. There is clearly a deep political crisis now in Kiev itself. And uh, Zeluzhny has obviously been checking out and finding out all about the wiretaps and he's uh, disclosed it. And he's disclosed the fact that his aides are being wiretapped as well. Yeah, it's really, it's a really interesting situation. Uh, either you, if you're Zelensky, either you arrest Zeluzhny and you, you may face some sort of, uh, of protest, which may topple your government as well, maybe. Uh, you, 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 take a, you take a risk there. Or you're, f you're forced to keep Zeluzhny in his current position where he might overthrow your government. I mean, it's, yes. it's a very interesting situation yes. that, that, that Zelensky finds himself in. The Russians call this type of scenario a dual power situation. It, that stems from a period um, just after the abdication of the Tsar, when power in Russia was divided between the provisional government, which took over from the Tsar, and the Soviet of workers' deputies that was based in Petrograd. And each of these two groups was constantly in conflict with the other and the work of government and the management of the army in wartime, by the way, of course, became paralyzed. And that's exactly what we have now. Hmm. All right. So uh, let's that's a good way to, to segue into the statements from the Russian uh, representative in the United Nations, Mr. Polyansky. And uh, the first uh, deputy permanent rep of Russia in the UN, and uh, he put out a statement, um, a post on on Twitter X, where he basically said that uh, Zelensky has squandered his chances for a favorable uh, off ramp from this uh, this conflict, and any peace deal from from here on out is going to to essentially be. Surrender, capitulation. And I think that uh, Polyansky was actually replying to some comments made by Michael McFowl. We talked about him in a video we made a couple of days ago. Um, this, this echoes many of the statements from Russian officials over the past couple of weeks, which has been pretty much along the lines of uh, capitulation on our terms. And the terms aren't going to be very favorable, not only for Ukraine, but not very favorable for the collective West as well. But that's that's what we're hearing from from the Russian uh, the Russian uh, high officials all the way up to Putin as well. Even during Absolutely. his Q and A, he pretty much said the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the point to understand is that this was said by an official, the very senior official, by the Russian foreign ministry. Now, 
Um, you, you come from a diplomatic family. <laughs> I'm not disclosing anything when I say that your father has great, um, uh, had, had great experience of diplomatic activity. I believe he, he actually represented uh, his country at the UN. Um, you can ex- confirm that the ambassadorial team that a country sends to the UN is its elite. I mean, they're the elite diplomats. They are the highest people within the diplomatic cadre. And if you are a permanent Security Council member, such as Russia is, you make absolutely sure that your best people are at the UN. And Polyansky is the deputy head of mission, directly below Vasily Nebenzia. But Nebenzia at the moment is on leave, so Polyansky has been acting as head of mission. And um, he's been dealing with the Americans, he deals with the other members of the the Security Council, he's been playing a leading role in organising the Russian responses over Ukraine, but also over the Gaza crisis, for example. Um, He's very active on Twitter X, and he speaks with authority for the Russian foreign ministry. And he's a very well-informed man. And when he makes a statement like this, one must assume that he's doing it based on what is now foreign ministry, Russian government policy. And we got confirmation of this because within hours of Polyansky making that statement on Twitter X, it was repeated, his statement was repeated um, on TASS, which is Russia's official news agency. So what he said was, it was very interesting, because McFaul, Michael McFaul, former US ambassador to Russia, under Obama, by the way, a man who has been a fervid supporter of Ukraine, a man who's been an enormous optimist, both about potential regime change in Moscow and about Ukraine's prospect in the war, and a man who we now know played an absolutely key role in crafting the sanctions against Russia. Anyway, he's now talking about negotiations. He's, even he's coming to understand that this war cannot end in anything that remotely resembles a clear-cut Ukrainian victory. And Polyansky responded immediately to that. He said, no chance for negotiations now. We negotiated with the Ukrainians in March and April last year. We all know what happened. The West blocked it. The Ukrainians walked away. The only basis upon which this war ends now is total surrender. Ukraine surrenders completely. Total surrender. And this follows a whole sequence of statements by Russian officials, by Volodin, the Speaker of the Duma, by Lavrov and Shoigu, talking in rather more measured ways. Putin himself, as we've discussed, um, he's been uh, speaking in a more cryptic way as is his way, because he likes to keep his cards close to his chest. But this is an official from the executive branch of Russia's government, from the foreign ministry, and he's saying 
The only outcome now is total surrender. Now, it becomes even more interesting because we did a program a few, about a week, two weeks ago, in which we said that the West would choke on Putin's demands. And I'm starting to get lots of information about the kind of discussions that are taking place in Russia about the kind of things that the Russians would be looking at. And um, basically, all of Ukraine, all of former Ukraine, east of the Dnieper, including Kharkiv, Odessa, Nikolaev, the entire Black Sea coast, Ukraine will not be allowed to have its own military. It will have to hand over to Russia all of its military equipment, including all the military equipment that's been provided by the West, the uh, Patriot missiles, the NASAMS missiles, the IRIS-T missiles, the HIMARS, the ATACMS, all these fancy weapons that the West has given them. They'll have to hand them over to the Russians in full. The Russians will have unrestricted access to all laboratories and other research institutions in Ukraine. Well, we know there's been a lot of discussion about that as well. There will be some people that Ukraine will have to surrender and who will be subjected to war crimes trials. Lots of things. And these are all apparently being talked about and discussed in Moscow, even as we're making this program. So the terms are going to be very tough indeed. I mean, the West will indeed choke on them. Yeah, but the, the West would never agree to, to that. No. They, they would just, I would imagine that the West would just prefer complete destruction of Ukraine. Yes, yes. And or, to, or, or Alexander, because you are in the UK, what about the reports that the former Ukraine ambassador to UK said that the UK is preparing contingency plans in case things go horribly wrong for boots yes. on the ground. I mean, yes. I guess those could be two options that the yes. West considers. Indeed. And we can guess what those contingency plans were because they were being floated in the early weeks of the war. We were being told what they were. And that is that the um, British and the other Western powers evacuate the political leadership from Kiev, bring them to the West, set up a government in exile there. And... Uh, as you absolutely rightly say, they do not recognise, they won't accept these terms. And in fact, as I discussed in my programme yesterday, it may even sound incredible, but having set up a government in exile in perhaps London or Brussels, they continue to negotiate with that government as if it was the actual government of Ukraine and that government joins the EU and NATO. I mean, it sounds bizarre, but I can even see that happening, actually. Um, or at least that might be what they would try to do. But we have a situation in that case where there are two governments in existence, one in Kiev, one in the West. The West only recognises the one that is in the West. Um, they presumably do everything they can to prevent the government in Kiev gaining international recognition. And um, um, the rest, Ukraine, however, falls completely under Russian control. Now, if we get into that kind of scenario, um, I wonder whether the Russians might say to themselves, well, in that case, rather than 
maintain, preserve a government in Kiev, um, why not just move forward and see whether people in Ukraine might be interested in outright union? And I suspect that there might be quite a few people in Ukraine who would say better that route than be um, left in a shadow country um, dominated by Russia, but contested by the West. So, you know, that might be the outcome we see. Well, in some regions, that would be the case. Obviously, yes. Odessa, for example, yes. that would be the case where they would say an outright union. But of course, if you're talking about uh, Lvov, that, that would not be the case. Well, exactly. If we were talking about Lvov, about Galicia, uh, the Russians have shown no intention to go there. And of course, I talked about a government in exile, but that government might find itself in Lvov, in which case Lvov becomes, as far as the West is concerned, the temporary capital of Ukraine. And we have the Taiwan scenario all over again, where you have a government uh, controlling a small fraction, 10% of the territory of former Ukraine, but claiming to exercise control over the entirety of Ukraine, whereas the Russians in practice are in possession. If anything like that happens, I think that outright annexation or unification, as the Russians would say, between Russia and the bulk of Ukraine becomes almost inevitable because it, it, the Russians would probably be very nervous. Well, they would probably say to themselves, if we have a government in Kiev, it might find it difficult to um, respond consistently to this government in Lvov. So better just finish this thing once and for all, bring this huge territory back under um, Russian control. After all, it's historic Russia since the 17th century and just end this thing once and, for, once and forever. Yeah, but what kind of future, just a final question, what, if this is a scenario and if this is really being discussed, I mean, we don't know if this is, if these are like realistic plans. We just know that there, there's discussion floating around there yes. about, about this scenario. Yes. But um, if this does happen the way we're, we're, we're discussing, what kind of future does this country in Lvov, this territory, have? Wouldn't, it, wouldn't it eventually just become a type of, of republic or, or autonomous republic of Poland and uh, the Carpathia would just become a type of, of autonomous republic or, or something connected to Hungary, etc. I mean, because the country wouldn't really have any type of future to begin with. Everything would be closed off to it. I well, mean, wouldn't that be the natural trajectory? Absolutely. And can I just say, if um, we have a political entity involved, which continues to claim that it is the government of Ukraine, then the Russians would be implacably hostile to it. And it would be isolated. It would have no access to the sea. It would probably be on very bad terms with Poland, realistically. But going looking at things beyond that, it would not be focused on the internal development of Ukraine. It would be more focused, one presumes, on playing the superpower games that the West wants it to play, trying to create problems with the Russians, trying to hold on to Ukraine's seat in the General Assembly, all that kind of thing. And um, 
it, it would not be a happy outlook for this region. It would not be focusing on its own internal developments. Because, can I just say something? I mean, Galicia, Lvov, um, as an independent country, it could probably only prosper long term itself if it were to enter into a long term relationship, at least a civil relationship with Russia. But if it's not going to do that, how can it, how can it, if it's going to continue to pretend that it is the government of Ukraine, how can it do that? All right. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll soon find out where all of this heads towards. Yeah. Maybe, uh, I, maybe, maybe NATO will get involved. Maybe the UK will get involved. Well, as I said, I, I don't think they will without take... the US's orders. Yes. I mean, they won't take on the Russian army. I think this is becoming increasingly clear. So they're not going to try to fight the Russians in Ukraine. I think this is now, I don't think anybody believes that's going to happen anymore. But this last desperate ploy of setting up, you know, a government either in exile in London or Brussels or perhaps in Lvov is probably the last throw. Now, it would be a catastrophe for Europe, by the way if they were to do that, because it would mean that presumably all EU states would have to recognise this government. Um, any government that didn't, Hungary, for example, potentially a new government in Bulgaria would come under enormous pressure. By recognising this government, they would close off completely any possibility of, of normalising relations with Russia. And that wouldn't be for the medium term. It would be for the indefinite long term as well. All right. We will leave it there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and Twitter X. And go to Duran's shop. 20% off. Use the code the Duran 20 Take care.